This is Airing Pain, a programme brought to you by Pain Concern, the UK charity providing information and support for those of us living with pain and for healthcare professionals. I'm Paul Evans, and this edition has been funded by a grant from the Shoe Trust. There are a number of amputations, both minor and major amputations, across the UK, and 80% of those could be avoided with the right care and attention to people's feet circulation and management of diabetes. Diabetes is a serious lifelong health condition that occurs when the amount of glucose or sugar in the blood is too high because the body can't use it properly. And if left untreated or mismanaged, high blood glucose levels can cause serious health complications. This is how it works. Glucose is the fuel our body cells need to keep going. But in order for those cells to receive the glucose, they need to be unlocked. And the key to unlocking them is a hormone created in the pancreas called insulin. If that key, insulin, is missing or unable to unlock the cells, diabetes occurs. And there are two types of diabetes. Type 1, which accounts for 10% of people with diabetes, is an autoimmune condition where the body attacks and destroys insulin-producing cells. In type 2 diabetes, the body doesn't make enough insulin or the insulin it makes doesn't work properly. Those with either type of diabetes are at increased risk of stroke, heart disease, blindness, neuropathy, amputation, a whole raft of physical complications, as well as the psychological ones, anxiety and depression, that are associated with all types of long-term condition. In this edition of Airing Pain, I want to focus on the physical complications, in particular painful neuropathy. Ben Davis is a clinical physiotherapist working in primary care in the Bath and North East Somerset area. His doctorate research on painful diabetic neuropathy explored different ways for people to cope with the condition. People develop diabetes for many causes. Some people have a genetic predisposition to it, that's type 1. Other people develop it over life for other causes. Diabetes is characterised by a difficulty in regulating your blood sugar levels, essentially. And over time, if that regulation is not so good, people develop nerve problems. And I think people are quite aware that people with diabetes can have numb feet, a loss of sensation. You can kick your toes and not feel it. You can have stones in your shoe but not feel it. For about 10% of people, they develop a painful neuropathy, which is where you don't have the pain that protects you from damage, but you do have the presence of a pain that is burning in quality, pretty unpleasant, comes for its own accord, often worse at night, and can be really debilitating. And that's the group of people that my research has been focused on. So why does that happen? The full answer, I think, is actually not fully known. The contributors to why this happens are the blood sugar levels, essentially leading to a a stress on the nervous system, right at the fine nerve endings, out in your toes. The the longest nerves in our body end up at our toes and our feet. There's a contribution from a lack of oxygenation in the blood, leading to a lack of oxygenation in the nerves, changes in how those nerves get energy. So the function of the nerve alters, but there are also contributors from the spinal cord. When those nerves come up your leg, into your spine, there are junction points, and there's a whole kind of cascade of events at the spinal cord level of how danger messages or messages in the nervous system are or are not carried on into the spinal cord. And then higher up into the brain, does the brain pay attention to the leg? 
not pay attention to the leg. It's a complicated process that leads to this pain problem. Ben Davis. Linda McGlynn is the Regional Engagement Manager for Diabetes Scotland. She's speaking with pain concerns Rebecca Dykes. What neuropathy basically is, is is damage to those um, fine nerve structures that send messages down from the brain and up from the brain. So neuropathy is a disturbance in um, the functionality of those nerves. So you could have a sensory neuropathy, which means your feeling is diminished, you can have numbness. Um, and what that then happens is if you've got numbness in your feet, because if you walk about with your bare feet and stand on something, and you get it infected, and, and what happens with diabetes, if your blood glucose levels are high, chances are it um, will increase the chances of you developing an infection in the wound and it takes longer for that to heal. So if you have neuropathy and you don't know you've stubbed your toe and stood on something or you, you're not aware that your the heel of your shoe has been rubbing, then you've got a blister, then that blister then gets infected. What then happens is very, very quickly that becomes black really infected and it can happen really fairly quickly and what happens is you will then see a podiatrist or you'll see a surgeon and it can't be saved so it results in either a minor amputation which is a loss of a toe, loss of a few toes, something at the back of the heel or it could be more major than either below knee or above knee amputation. I have type 2 diabetes and it was explained to me, perhaps oversimplistically, because I am a simple person, that it's like there's sugar in your blood. Sugar in a liquid makes it treacly and thick. So I can understand how that affects the circulation because, again, simply, if the blood, the thick treacle blood, can't get through your veins and arteries, then it starves them of blood. But you can't starve the nerves through sticky blood, can you? Oh, you can. Your nervous system sits in your body. If we took it out of you, it weighs about 2% of your body weight. Yet your nervous system is always on, always requires energy, and actually uses 20% of your sort of energy output. So nerves, I mean, particularly the brain, but nerves right down to your big toes, your little toes, are highly active in terms of using energy. And they have a very intimate blood supply. Nerves have a blood supply within them, which we can block if you've slept on your arm and you have a dead arm in the morning or your buttocks are numb having watched a film that's a everyday example of where the nerve function has been lost because you've blocked blood supply for a while you wake in the morning with a numb arm you shake your hand around for five minutes that feeling comes back but that's a everyday example of where nerve tissue lacks blood supply and you develop a numbness now i suppose when we take that to diabetes that thick blood, your, your idea is absolutely right, that thick blood struggles to get through the very fine capillary bed, the tiniest blood supply vessels that are inside the nerve. So those nerves right down in your toes begin to become numb. They lose their function. So the nerves that need that energy, it's starved of that energy. Absolutely, yeah. I, think, I mean, there's, there's a lot of complex biochemistry underneath it, but as a high-level message, that's the critical thing. Physiotherapist Ben Davis, Linda McGlynn. Neuropathy is very complex. As I said, you've got sensory, then you've got autonomic. What autonomic neuropathy does, 
these are the nerves that look after your, your heart, your lungs, your stomach. If you have neuropathy of any of the nerves supplying maybe the stomach, then that can cause slowing of the emptying of the stomach. So it's what we call gastroparesis. And people can have vomiting. It can affect the uh, lower part of the bowel, so people have diarrhoea. It can cause erectile dysfunction, loss of libido, bladder. So that's the autonomic. So these are things that sometimes, you, you know, we have no control over, but they are there, and neuropathy will affect those. And you also have motor neuropathy, so when, the, for the movement, the muscles, so the message is going down to the, the muscles, may well but not getting there. So, we'll, um, so they're, they're the three sort of classifications of neuropathy. Now... I, and I'm not sure if it's countrywide, but it's certainly in my health authority, have a check-up every six months for my mm. diabetes. And one of those checks is sticking what I would consider is a tuning fork on my feet to see if I can feel it. That presumably is where neuropathy is picked up. Absolutely. Vibration sense as a function of the nervous system is one of the first qualities that's lost so if you were to go home you know, this evening, lie on your arm for a few minutes and then try a tune fork on your thumbnail, five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, after a period of time you would not sense that tuning fork. So it's vibration sense is one of the first functions that's lost. So your practice nurse, specialist nurse, podiatrists, GP perhaps will use tuning forks and sometimes a, a little filament that bends under a certain pressure and they'll push that onto your various points in your feet if you can identify, you can feel that pressure, then that's good. If you can't feel that pressure, then there's a little scoring system to suggest a level of loss of nerve function, a developing neuropathy. Ben Davis, Linda McGlynn again. Some people actually, by virtue of the fact that they have no feeling, but what we're seeing is some people don't know this. They just feel as though, well, when I'm walking, it feels as though I'm, I'm on cotton wool. If they, they've got that bit where they don't know where they're putting the foot. So from a sense of the nerves to the brain and back again aren't doing the feedback loop. So if you move your foot, you know, you know you've moved your foot. If you've got motor neuropathy, then you might know that muscles have changed and moved. If you've got sensory, then you don't know where you're placing your foot. It could feel like cotton wool. People actually can maybe trip up fairly easily because they, they don't know there's a change in the medial region of, from carpet to wood floor, etc. And everybody's different. When it's painful, it's, it's those really, really severe pins and needles. It's that burning sensation. Sometimes people get really severe shooting pains and it's so severe that it takes a breath away. And if you're getting those constantly, you can, and especially in an evening or when you go to bed, then you can understand how difficult it is, how depressing that could be, and how it can impact on every aspect of your quality of life. It's hard work managing persistent pain. We'll usually have some level of worry about that pain, some level of social isolation, perhaps not being the person they expected to be, the partner, the parent, the grandparent, the friend. So they'll come with other stuff. Now, I'm not a psychologist, but I would use, perhaps we'd call it psychologically informed physiotherapy. I think it's important that we raise things like stress management strategies. We raise sleep strategies. 
we raise the impact of feeling sad about the situation you're in or worried about the future. If we can raise those things earlier in someone's pain journey, perhaps they can use more strategies to manage the impact of that pain and manage the impact of that pain more effectively than if they were to simply rely on a single exercise, a single drug, a single injection, a single surgery. We're trying to broaden the toolbox people have for managing pain. It's about managing those symptoms, making sure people are comfortable. So that's, that's looking at pain relief. And the treatments that can be anything from a mild analgesic, such as paracetamol, more powerful ones, such as gabapentin, pregabalion. Just looking at, you know, how we can help people manage the pain. TENS machines. If someone's got um, painful neuropathy and they've got maybe slight weaknesses in the muscles, it could be that they get physiotherapy to actually strengthen the muscles, strengthen the joints, but they still need the analgesia. So it's very much around if it's a painful neuropathy, it's managing that painful neuropathy. And it's about how do you manage intractable pain. What we say to people is it's about having that discussion with the healthcare professional to see what's the best aspect for them. When it is so severe, then people are frequently referred to pain clinics for pain management, severe pain management. And again, the processes for that are different for everybody. That's Linda McGlynn, Regional Engagement Manager for Diabetes Scotland. Unfortunately, referrals to pain clinics and pain management programmes are not as frequent as might be expected. Ben Davis again. My PhD research focused on how people with painful diabetic neuropathy are rarely seen in multidisciplinary pain programmes. So a multidisciplinary pain programme, physios and psychologists, has two central tenets to it. One is physical activity, helping people be as fit as they can be. The other is psychological coping. How do we help you manage that low mood and worrying? psychological issues. Yet people with painful neuropathy rarely come into those programmes. And we didn't really know why. There is some evidence that people, when they do come in with this burning pain, spasmodic, a bit unpredictable, they don't necessarily get the same benefit that someone with back pain gets. So it could be that the programmes as they currently sit are not quite formulated right. They haven't quite got the right techniques in for this population. I went and interviewed 23 people with this problem in the UK, some face-to-face in the Bristol area, some over the phone who had seen my adverts in Balance magazine, the Diabetes UK magazine. And I asked them, what does this problem cause you? What are the impacts of this problem? How have you experimented with managing this pain problem? What have you tried? What would your view be of physical activity for this pain problem? And what would your view be of psychological coping for this problem? You know, how acceptable does this sound? Does this sound like something I would want to be involved in or does it sound like nonsense? Can I hazard a guess at one reason why there is a difference there? You can shoot me down immediately. Could it be because diabetes, the diabetes department, are, like many other departments, are self-contained and they're over here on my right and pain management programmes, the pain doctors, are over there on my left, the other side of the hospital, even in a different hospital, and never the twain should meet. Yes, (laughs) very simply. I think that's a big issue. When people in the diabetes world, so people with this pain problem, come to the diabetes clinics, 
this pain problem is recognized, there are recognized pharmacology drug approaches for these pain problems. There's good evidence that these four drugs have a role to play. The problem is they don't help everybody. And one of the diabetic specialist nurses I interviewed used a really nice phrase. She said, when we've tried all the drugs and it's not helped, and the medics have tried all the same drugs they've not helped, I feel clinically impotent. I have nothing to offer. Because as you've just said, the diabetes world doesn't have much exposure perhaps to the pain management world. So there are strategies sat in the pain world that could be perhaps translated to the diabetes world. Or even a physical pathway between the two departments. Well, you can't refer somebody to something you don't know about. Exactly. Yeah. So I think we know what some of the answers might be, but what is being done about it, if anything? I interviewed this group of people, just to say, I also interviewed some clinicians about their views, and I interviewed diabetologists and diabetes specialists, and I interviewed pain specialists. But to stay with the people with this problem, there was a huge range of impact. I had 58 kinds of impact in the way this problem, PDM, affected their lives. That's a really broad range. And it was much broader than the evidence had currently highlighted. There were six priorities that people highlighted. One was sleep, worry about physical activity, and worried about losing my physical fitness. There was anxiety and depression in there, numb feet in there, and walking. But of those top six, pain wasn't an issue that they prioritised. So in that 58 statements, there were four or five that were quite strong pain statements, like PDN brings tears to my eyes in the morning. But those were not prioritised by people. So that was the first sort of interesting thing. They had experimented with a wide variety of strategies, from having fish pedicures, putting your feet into yeah, water, yeah. I forget what they're called, Gararufa oh, fish. I have no idea, but I'm Fish not pedicures, do it. alcohol, cannabis extracts. One chap I remember was saying he walked on stinging nettles out on the sort of fields near his house because that gave him, you know, perhaps a distraction. So people had, had experimented with a wide range of things themselves generally without success. Thinking about exercise, physical activity, some people were really keen for it. You know, they wanted advice about exercise, they wanted to be able to keep walking or keep cycling, but there was a, a healthy degree of scepticism around exercise. How would that help my nerve damage? How would that help my diabetes? Similarly with the sort of idea of psychology, some people had been to a psychologist, some people had been through a pain management programme for their back pain and felt there was a relevance. But lots of people sort of said, well, why would talking to somebody help this pain problem? It's my feet. It's the nerves in my feet. They didn't see the kind of connection between managing stress, managing mood and, and a pain experience. So it wasn't really clear that we could simply define a, a slightly varied pain program. We probably need to explore some other avenues first. But education comes into it, doesn't it? You know... Doctor, why are you sending me to a head doctor when I need a foot doctor? Well, that's a very good statement, and it's a statement that's highly entrenched in medical management. We could take it back to René Descartes in the 17th century, a French philosopher. He argued that the mind and the body were separate. I think at the time he argued that, you know, give the body to science and leave, leave the soul with the church. Now that was useful, it allowed science to move on, but it creates this split between mind and body, which is false. I could ask you to sit there and imagine your most embarrassing moment in life ever, 
and you will have a physical response in your body. So there is an intimate connection between mind and body, and this idea that you know minds and bodies are separate entities, well, they're not. If you're a person in pain, you're a person with pain. And that affects your body, that affects your mind, that affects your psychology, that affects your relationships, that affects your societal interactions. It knocks on in you know, complex ways. So yes, diabetes and pain are different, but they're also present in the same person. Yes, well, we both know that. <laughs> but how do you get that over to somebody who is a skeptic, who wants his foot mended? With all pain management approaches, you can't force people to a, any kind of strategy. You can educate or you can highlight a, perhaps a dissonance between their ideas, very structural ideas of pain. And actually, they as a person, they have probably had times in their life when they've had damage but not experienced pain. So the idea that you know, damage in your feet has to equate to a pain experience is it's not really true. We can offer as best we can, and self-management requires that person to then take ownership of the advice. But that person's a, you know, an autonomous person. If they, if they don't want to, that's sort of a choice. As clinicians, I think we do our best to motivate, to make it relevant to that person, to highlight the, perhaps the improved quality of life that might come out of employing these strategies. But I'm also very aware that it's hard work applying multiple strategies at the same time to maximise your quality of life. And many people want the pill. As I'm sure I would if I had an ongoing persistent pain problem, I would want the simplest treatment management possible. The reality is sometimes people have to go through an a period of time before they come to a realisation that there's, there's more to that than a simple pill. And we go back to what pain management programmes are all about. It's getting people to believe that their quality of life can get better, will get better, that if they address issues of thought, mind and deed, I mean, that, that's part of a pain management programme, isn't it? So how do we get the pain management programme into diabetes? I mentioned just now we had 58 sort of impacts of this problem and a later study that I did was to take those statements, put them as part of a questionnaire survey on the internet. This internet survey was distributed via Diabetes UK. I posted it on peer support groups on you know, various diabetes forums. And this survey ensured that people had this painful neuropathy problem. It asked the frequency by which people experience these problems. But the thing I was most interested in was we gave people the opportunity to select and prioritise what they wanted help with. So out of these 58 things, choose 10, you could shortlist 10, and then you could reorder them and put them in your priority for better management. And there were six things that were sort of captured around half the sort of subgroups, men, women, type people with type 1, type 2 diabetes high pain levels, low pain levels. The top universal first priority was sleep. PDN affects my sleep. Now, they'd never had sleep advice. Sleep can be affected by pain, but the lack of sleep makes pain worse. It goes both ways. And you can suggest sleep management strategies to somebody in pain, and if those, and those strategies can be enacted by that person, when their sleep improves, their pain will improve. And their quality of life for all other sort of metrics will improve. 
So the first priority that all these people in my survey wanted was advice on sleep. So could we bring that, even just one little thing, could we bring that to the diabetes world? Could that diabetic specialist nurse have a, a sheet on sleep at their disposal? That's really interesting because people with diabetes you know, are bombarded with dietary instructions, but there's far more to life than just eating. <laughs> there is, yeah. This is where this sort of biology becomes complex. If you don't sleep well, that's a stressor on your system. And a stress tends to be pro-inflammatory. So it adds to the inflammation that's part of the development of neuropathy. And stress affects your insulin sort of pathways. So I suppose the diabetes world, to my understanding, is quite you know, well aware of saying, look, you need to manage stress. You've got to you know, balance just life stresses. But not sleeping is a stress. So we do need to have some language, some advice, some strategies to perhaps suggest to help people sleep better when that's their high up in their priority list because it might well affect their pain levels. I know the consequences of diabetes can be, well, more than awful, really. But do people prioritise you know, what is important about their lives living with diabetes? With people in pain, it can be that pain becomes the overriding thing. People become defined by their pain and often will enact strategies to avoid the pain because pain has evolved to be unpleasant it's not supposed to be nice it's evolved to protect you from damage alert you to injury but in cases it can become too sensitive and too alerting so if with pain and you may have a persistent pain problem that cannot easily be resolved then living your life despite it living your life with it doing things that are important and valued Another speaker just this afternoon, Lance McCracken from London, really good talk around how people can choose valued activities and engage in those activities despite, despite how they're feeling in their body, despite the worrying thoughts they have in their heads. If you let that hold, hold that for a minute, that worrying thought will be replaced by another thought quite quickly. Can you live a life despite and I think that's applicable to this neuropathic pain problem. And it's probably applicable to the diabetes world in terms of you've got to live your life, you know, despite being diabetic. I wouldn't want to make that sound like it's a sort of, you know, death sentence. A common thing I'll say to patients in pain is, and I'll use the analogy of diabetes, in that you can be diabetic and you can manage diabetes really badly. Eat the wrong things, drink the wrong things, don't take the medication, be really stressed. And like you've just said, there can be quite a litany of consequences for that. Or the other extreme is to manage your diet really well, exercise appropriately, have good social support systems, have a clear understanding of the condition, and you will manage that condition and have very few impacts of that condition. But you're still diabetic. So with pain, we can say, will I be like this forever? And I'll say, well, if you, at one extreme, sit down forever, never socialize, get more and more worried, have a really disturbed sleep structure, so you, you know, sleep in the day and you're up all night, then life could become quite black, quite dark. If, however, you manage your stresses, exercise healthily, choose to do the things that make you, you, have social support, have social interaction, do the relaxation exercises, whatever might be appropriate, you might still be a person in pain, but you'll be a parent, partner, lover, friend, employee, employer, you'll be a person. That was physiotherapist Ben Davis. 
Now, I'll just remind you that whilst we, in Pain Concern, believe the information and opinions on airing pain are accurate and sound based on the best judgments available, you should always consult your health professional on any matter relating to your health and well-being. He or she is the only person who knows you and your circumstances and therefore the appropriate action to take on your behalf. Don't forget that you can download all editions and transcripts of Airing Pain from Pain Concern's website, which is painconcern, no spaces, painconcern.org.uk. And there you'll find information and support for those of us living with chronic pain, our families and carers, and for healthcare professionals. There's also information on how to order Pain Concerns magazine, Pain Matters. All the details are at Pain Concerns website. Once again, it's painconcern.org.uk. Now, with in excess of 20 leg, foot or toe amputations each day due to diabetes, of which four in every five could have been prevented, I recommend you look at the Diabetes UK website, and that's at diabetes.org.uk. Pay special attention to their Putting Feet First campaign, with all their advice on how to take care of your feet. Final words of advice in this edition of Airing Pain on Painful Diabetic Neuropathy from Ben Davis. The key treatment for it is don't get it in the first place. Managing your diabetes effectively, preemptive management, good blood management, good diet, exercise management. All the diabetologists I've spoken to would say that's the best way to treat this pain problem. It's kind of don't get it in the first place.